Father God, we ask that you, like in Pentecost, as we're celebrating that today, we ask you, Spirit, to show up and to show off. We ask you, God, to do what only you can do. And we ask that what happens tonight would last far beyond tonight. In the name of Jesus, everybody says, amen, amen. amen. Open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 19. I cannot wait to preach this passage today. I loved it so much. We're going to read 20 of those verses. Aren't you excited? We usually stand together for the reading of God's Word, but it's 20 verses, so I'll let you guys sit today. Um, I just I think this is a word that we need. Um, I didn't know that society would churn the way it has within the last few days, but I realize that this is actually still the word that we need for this moment, so I'm super grateful for God's sovereignty in that. We're going to be starting a new, uh, new collection of talks called Numanity, and it's about the new humanity that we have in Christ, and it's going to be walking through Ephesians 1 through 3. And before we go to Ephesians 1, I think it's really helpful for us as a congregation to understand the context of Paul in Ephesus, and that's where we find ourselves in Acts 19. Paul uh, ventures to Ephesus, and we see how he really laid out his ministry, and let's read that now. Verse 1, it says, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through interior regions and came to Ephesus. He found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, they told him. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Pentecost Sunday, anybody? This was planned. All right, it says, Into what then were you baptized? He asked them, Into John's baptism, they replied. This is John the Baptist. And know that John the Baptist is not the first Baptist. Okay, we don't, we're not that old. Okay. Um, nobody. Church history. I like it. Verse 4. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people that they should believe in the one who would come after him, that is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak in tongues and to prophesy. Now there were about 12 men in all, a pretty small group. But Paul entered the synagogue, spoke boldly for a period of three months, arguing and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became hardened and would not believe, slandering the way in front of the crowd, he withdrew from them, taking the disciples and conduct, I love this, conducted discussions every day in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years, look at this, so that all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, notice the diversity here, heard the word of the Lord. God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands so that even face cloths or aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Now, some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists also attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, I command you by the Jesus that Paul preaches. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest, were doing this. I love the Bible because it has verse 15. It says, the evil spirit answered them, I know Jesus and I recognize Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them. UFC style overpowered them all. And underline this word, prevailed against them so that they ran out of that house naked and wounded. My father's from Gilbert. I call it naked. All right. When this became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, they became afraid. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high esteem. How great would it be, friends, if the name of Jesus was held in high esteem today? And many who had become believers came confessing and disclosing their practices. While many of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them in front of everyone. 
So they calculated their value and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver, which many would believe was worth millions of dollars today. But look at verse 20. In this way, the word of the Lord spread and prevailed. I would argue those are the two things we need most. We need the word of God to spread. Other translations say flourish. And we need the word of God to prevail. This word prevail talks about, it actually insinuates opposition is there. It's just that the opposition wasn't strong enough. Opposition is here in our society today. We can't ignore it. But the word of the Lord will still prevail. Amen? And I want us to be on the right side of this battle. Friends, we need the kingdom of God to spread and prevail today. I would argue maybe more than ever. And the the problem is, I think every single church wants that, right? I think every single church would want verse 20 to be their reality. And my question I have to ask myself honestly, how come that isn't the reality for every church? What is it that we're called to do? And I think this passage will help us. Here's what I believe. I think we see the results in verse 20. The result is in this way, the word of the Lord spread and prevailed. But I think we all want the results of verse 20, but all of us ignore the route in verses 1 through 19. I think Paul lays out for us the route you and I must take in order to get the result of the word of the Lord spreading and prevailing. In 2014, my wife and I um, attended a three-day church planners assessment. So this was our vision to plant our church one day. And so 2014, I was, what, 22. We were only married for one year. And they said, why do you want to plant a church this year? I said, I don't. I was just told I had to be here. I want to plant my church in like two or three years. And so it was terrifying. They analyze everything. They analyze your marriage. They analyze your speaking abilities. You just feel like that big after you're done. And it's great, though. It's humbling and humiliating all at the same time. They literally have this thing called Shark Tank. And so you're in front of sharks and you have to pitch your vision. And that was the thing I was most worried about. Shark Tank. I was trying to figure out which one's the Mark Cuban, right? Which one? Like, who, do, who am I going to cozy up to? And um, Jordan, do you remember that? Or were you, are you, were, you, were you away? No, you were there, just rooting for me in the background. Praise God. Did that feel terrible? Right? It was terrifying to me. And so I just remember everybody saying what you need. You can mess up a lot of things, but what you need is a prospectus. I said, great, hold on. And I Googled prospectus. What is that definition of prospectus? Even though I was just about to graduate from California Baptist University, they never told me what prospectus was. And so I Googled it, and it's about the set of plans that you have. And I think, okay. And it was like five minutes before. They said, you need a prospectus or else you're, you're not going to win. I said, I don't think I'm going to win anyways, but okay. And so prospectus, and they said, make sure your prospectus is purposeful and personal. Purposeful and personal. Purposeful and personal. So I came up, and I shared my dad's prospectus because I didn't have one. And so I thought, I helped my dad 10 years ago. I'll just say what we did back then, and I'll say, that's my plan now. We're still alive today, and now we have a building. We didn't have one then, so it was still kind of rocky. But I said, this is my prospectus. And so it was purposeful, but I quickly learned two years later, we planted the church, so the prospectus was good enough. It took another two years for us to actually figure out our own prospectus for our church. It took two years of us getting to know each other and and meeting opposition and understanding where God has called us uniquely as a congregation at Passion Creek Church. And if you know, our prospectus or vision would be to passionately pursue the life and lifestyle of Christ in Queen Creek. And we keep parsing that out, and it's the gift that keeps on giving. I encourage everybody to go to the Apprentice Workshop. We'll talk about it at the end of service. 
We're going to parse that out even more. And here in Acts 19, I believe Paul gives his threefold perspective for Ephesus. I think our church needs this. I think your family needs this. I think you need this. A prospectus lays out the route you'll take in order to get the results that you want. Friends, it's not enough just to say we want results. We have to figure out the route by which we can take in order to get those results. God never blesses good intentions. He blesses good plans and execution of those plans. Amen? Amen. All right. And if you remember, we started this year and I didn't know how prophetic it would be, we started this year with the title, Mary Had a Different Metric. I'm not going to ask if you remember that, because that's humiliating. But we started by saying Mary had a different metric. And I said, friends, I think for 2020 as a church, we have to start redefining what we call victories. Little did we know, the attendance metric was thrown out the window for three months. A lot of the metrics of success of people coming and going, we couldn't figure out, was anybody watching? Was it all Russian bots? I don't know who's watching. I praise somebody is. And, we ha- and praise God we're saying, but look, Mary had a different metric. Our church has a different metric system. We're measuring success differently. Well, today, it's kind of a revisit as we come back together. We're looking at our vision once more. Today, I want to title today's message, Paul had a different prospectus. Paul had a different Prospectus, and I would argue it's the prospectus that we need as a church and we need as individuals in the Lord. Let me pray. Father God, we need your Holy Spirit to come like it did on Pentecost. We believe that that's absolutely still possible. We're grateful you're already here, actually. God, I pray that we be aware. May we be humble and receive what you have for us. In Jesus' name I pray, everybody says, amen, amen. Write this down. You will be reckless and restless if you adopt the wrong prospectus. You will be reckless and restless if you adopt the wrong prospectus. Have you met any reckless or restless people lately? I think our culture has the wrong prospectus. Again, a prospectus, what's so great about it, it removes the guesswork. It can't determine what's coming. (laughs) Who figured out what 2020 would bring, right? And so we have no idea what's coming next, and that's not the point. We're not casting vision of knowing what will happen. We're not prophetic in that way, but what we are doing is we're removing the guesswork by building a framework. We're saying, here's the framework, no matter what storm or, or prosperity, whatever comes our way, this is what we will constantly be doing. And I think that's so much better than guessing what's happening. I think we need to build a framework that can withstand any storm. If your prospectus doesn't thrive in the storm, then it should not even survive in the norm. Amen? That rhymed if you didn't notice. All right, verse 1, chapter 19 again, 1 through 7, I believe, is the framework number one that we have from Paul. It says, while Paulus was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions and came to Ephesus. He found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, we haven't heard what the, the, there is a Holy Spirit. And what then were you baptized? Into John's baptism, verse 4, Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people that they should believe in the one who would come after him, that is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Framework number one, if we're going to make it through, if you're going to make it through in your family, we're going to make it through as a church family. Framework number one, we have to make front and center. We must make personal the presence of Jesus. 
We must make it personal. This isn't ethereal. This isn't something that we can talk about in textbooks. It is true and a reality in our lives. See, what I get so bummed about as a theologian, I'm not a theologian, but I want to be as a person who loves theology. And one through seven, all people, they read this and they go, all they talk about is, do we still have to lay hands? Look, Paul had to lay hands and then the Holy Spirit came. Let's talk about for an hour and a half. Should we lay hands? I'm like, just do it and move on. I don't know. There's a better point here to be made. Other people say, look, they spoke in tongues, but we're Baptists. How is this going to work? There's a better point here that is to be made. And it was saying, you're not baptized just by these ideas of forgiveness. You are baptized because a person came, lived the perfect life, died and rose again. It's real. And you need Jesus for this to make sense. See, I think this is really important for us to remember because, guys, we live in a community that has a kingdom with no king. I think here they're saying, we've been baptized. We love the idea of this kingdom. Justice, peace, joy, sign me up, dunk me in water. I like that idea. And he says, okay, that's the kingdom, but it doesn't make sense until you meet the king. Jesus made all of that a reality. What do we have in the secular West? Why are we so shocked? We want all these great things, but they're not happening, friends. It's because we want the results of Christianity without taking the route of Christianity. And we're shocked at where we're at today. You can't skip the process. Paul had a different perspective. What they did, and I think it's what we have in our society, and I don't want to point finger at society. So many ways, we have to point a finger at ourselves, and maybe this is you as well, but everyone in Ephesus loved the principles of peace, but they did not yet love the prince of peace. I'm going to say that one more time. I think it would be hard to object in our community. Everyone here loves the principle, the idea of having peace. Not many people love the Prince of Peace, but let me tell you, the peace won't come until you met the Prince. Because here's the idea. The idea of peace never died for you. The idea of love didn't leave heaven, live the perfect life, show you how to live it, die, resurrect, and ascend, and send His Holy Spirit. The idea of love didn't do it, but the God of love did. So we have to meet the God, Jesus, the God-man. And so that's why I love the Spirit of God, and I think that's why we need to pray every time before service, wrath and Spirit to fall. Why? Because it's the Spirit of God that makes personal the presence of Jesus. My spiritual director keeps telling me, Trey, I know you love Jesus, but you've got to know he's your friend. You've got to know he's your friend. And for me, that's my next step in my journey in making it more personal, recognizing Jesus is there for me when I'm hurting. He's there for me when people talk bad about me. Shocker, I know, right? He's there for me. When I don't fulfill people's, I don't know, priorities of what they want in their own life. But Jesus is a friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Amen. And I love that the picture here is he says, let's, let's get baptized again. Let's do this baptism right in the name of the Lord Jesus. Baptism, we're doing that tonight. We're so grateful. If you're new here, every single bulb here on these Jesus letters represents a baptism we've had since we started in 2016. And baptism is a tangible way to make personal the presence of Jesus. Does this mean you'll go to heaven? No. But it means you're walking in obedience, and you want that anointing on your life that you're following in his steps. It's making personal his death, burial, and resurrection. You're personalizing the cross. You're saying, my sins were nailed up there as well. I rose again because I am united with Christ through the act of baptism. Let me just say this. This is free. Baptism is personal, but it's never private. This is why we have to do it in front of people. It's a beautiful thing. It's a thing where the family of God comes together. I love that. 
song we sang today, but I'm so glad I learned to trust him. Precious Jesus, Savior friend, and I know he is with me, and he'll be with me to the end. I want to ask you, is that an actual reality in your life, Sunday to Sunday? If not, that's totally okay. There's grace, but let me tell you, you're missing out on a lot here. This is Paul's first objective. Before we talk about theology, before we talk about how we can change the city around, we have to make sure you aren't just propagating these ideas of peace, but that you have made a personal encounter with the Prince of Peace. The beautiful thing is the Prince of Peace doesn't ask ask for you to get your act together. He doesn't ask for you to be perfect. He says just to simply come. And that loving Jesus accepts us just as we are, but doesn't leave us just as we are. So Paul knew the church wouldn't prevail. If we didn't make personal the presence of Jesus, and honestly, I wish I had enough time, I would just speak on this more and more and more. This is such a, I just hate that this is actually secondary or tertiary in the church today. Without the presence, we have nothing. Some of us are more consumed with progress than we are with, pregr- uh, with presence. And I love, I was reading Exodus just this last week. Moses said, I don't care, God. We aren't going if you're not going with us. We need the presence of God. And I think with all of this that's happening I think we'll recognize that more and more. Let's look at verse 8. I'm so excited about this one. Paul entered the synagogue, spoke boldly over a period of three months, arguing and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became hardened and would not believe, slandering the way, I love that language, we talk about the way a lot, in front of the crowd, he withdrew, underline withdrew. What do you mean, a Christian withdrawing? What is this? He withdrew from them, taking the disciples, we like to call it apprentices, and conducted discussions every day in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years, and everybody heard about Jesus. I love that. This really hit me as I was looking at it. It says that Paul entered the synagogue. This was the most, um, this is where everybody would come, right? This was the most public area possible. For three months, he just tried to preach, and he realized, I think there's a better way to do this. I think for three months, he went live on YouTube and Facebook. Well, everybody was in quarantine. He said, if I just push out this message, people will come to Jesus. I've been a little shocked. Hasn't happened as much as I thought yet. And then I realized, oh, wait. What, this one is like encouraging and discouraging. Because I've really learned the past three months, I'm not as good of a preacher as I thought I was. Amen? You're just like, you start to see as I'm preaching on live, you just see the viewers drop. Like, no! You know? I'll pick up the pace next time. I'll go to point number two quicker, right? And it's, it's been so humiliating. This whole season of quarantine is like, God, you are stripping away everything but you. I can't boast in anything. I can't. I can't see the faces. I can't tell if this is working. God, I just need you to work, and I'm so grateful for this lesson. But I feel like Paul here, remember, he's just a man. He's not perfect. I think he's like, man, I've been doing this megaphone thing. I've been sponsoring Facebook ads for three months straight. I'm going to do something different. I'm going to take who I have, which we know in context is only 12 people, and I'm going to disciple them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure that they've made personal the presence of Jesus, but also framework number two. I think during this time for two years, what, what did they do? We must make personal the practices of Jesus. I think it's so funny. The online church experts are saying, this is the church empowered. We're all on our couch now. This is great. How is sitting and listening on a couch different than sitting and listening on a pew? I don't get it. How is this empowering? You just smell worse, you know? And so, shout out to you who only use cologne on Sundays because cologne's expensive, amen? That's me, okay? I'm not joking, okay. 
But verse 9, he says, you know what? Instead of trying to get my message out there, trying to get in front of everybody, he withdrew. He says it in the text. They're slandering the way in front of the crowd, getting a bunch of hate comments, which we've been hiding. A bunch of hate comments. And then we say, you know what? I love you, but there's a better way to get to you. So I'm going to bring my disciples, the apprentices of Jesus over here, because they signed up for the apprentice workshop on, every Tuesday night. I'm going to take them. And we're going to talk about what does it look like to personalize the practices of Jesus. I love in this culture, I think this is really smart, because of the heat, what they would do, he, he dis, discussed uh, discussions every day in the lecture hall. Um, it actually is, what I learned this week, you rested between 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. and then got back to work. And so during those rest hours, which that might be a smart thing in Arizona because it's so hot from 11 to 4. From 11 to 4, they would just come to church. They would come to wherever they were meeting and they would learn about Jesus. They would learn about the word of God. So I'll see you tomorrow at 11. But, um, but they brought his disciples. And, and again, there's a lot of different ways to describe disciples. Some churches, discipleship is just simply to get you to serve in church. And that's not us. We, we think it's far beyond that. Some people think discipleship is just being well-behaved. And sure, we need more of that. But I think it's well beyond that. I think for us, disciple means apprentice. To be an apprentice means you want to be with Jesus in his presence, become like Jesus through your practices, and do what Jesus would do if he were you. The game changer for our church the last couple years, I'd say specifically the last 12 months, and realizing we need to personalize the practices of Jesus. Again, I don't have enough time to talk about this in detail. I encourage you to sign up for the apprentice workshop that starts June 9th on Tuesday night right here. But here's what I've learned. There's a lot of practices of Jesus. There's a lot of different ways to do what he would do. There's a lot of different ways to connect with him. We'd like to boil it down to these four big ideas. God time, gather time, group time, and go time. But we think, guess what? Here's what I've learned. It's been so freeing. The way you have God time is not the same way I have God time. You're an audiobook person. You fool. I'm someone who reads the book. Is my mom in here? Because I wanted to call her a fool. All right? I'm just joking. Audiobooks are great. Blah, blah, blah. Right? You like to go on a run and just look at nature and talk to God? Great. Do that. We want to take you on a journey. In fact, me and Pastor Caleb, for those who are at Passion Creek, we're inviting you to this Apprentice Workshop and then inviting you again, those at the Apprentice Workshop. We want to have a, a consultation with you. We're going to help determine where you're at in the stages of the Christian life. And we want to help determine for you two to four practices, uh, different ways that can help, um, help your faith. I know for me, in my own personal life, fasting has been huge. Sabbath has been huge. But the, my prayer life has been suffering the last few months. And so I met with my spiritual director this week, and we're going to try different things. I'm going to pray first thing in the morning instead of an hour later. All this stuff. There's different ways to personalize it. What works last season doesn't work this season. That's okay. What worked for me as a seventh grader isn't going to work for me now. And so we have to start having those conversations. We need to personalize the practices of Jesus. And we can talk about upstream practices and downstream, meaning some things will come easy to you. You need to do those. For me, I love dinner. I love celebration. I love Sabbath. So that's an easy one. I'll do that for you, Jesus. I, you know, I'm a good guy. I'll do that for you, Jesus. I'll eat cake in the name of Jesus. I'll do that. Amen? Fasting's really hard for me. But I need to do that because I need to keep my body under control and know that, Lord, you are the Lord of every area of my life. Maybe that's not for you, though. Maybe it's the other way around. I met some of y'all. You need to celebrate a little bit more. So you need to actually force yourself to eat some cake. You know what I'm saying? So it's all different. And I hope you understand the, the cake reference. It's not necessarily true. The cake's bad. Okay? Um, for you, but it's really good. Right? So verse 10. This went on for two years. For two years, he took his apprentices of Jesus, personalized the presence and practices of Jesus. And what happened? 
All the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. They didn't have to spend any money on Facebook ads or YouTube ads, although we'll still do, we'll do that. But because it's the church empowered, it's not the church on the couch. But here's the thing. We're going to get to how you're empowered, but you can't be empowered if you're not in his presence and walking through his practices for your own life. We've been, I'm getting ahead of myself. I need to, I need to watch out, okay? Okay. We may make personal. What's, what's his prospectus? This nice little magazine Paul created. Framework number one, we must make personal the presence of Jesus. Do you know Jesus? He's a person who actually lived on this earth. And you know what? He's still alive today. Somebody said on Twitter, said if Jesus was alive today, what would he do? I said, he is alive today. Read your Bible. Okay, and then, (laughs) framework number two, make personal the practices of Jesus. It's a whole other conversation, but again, there's so many things we can do. God time, gather time, group time, go time. Now what? Framework number three is we must take personal the passion of Jesus. We need to take it personal. Do you know what Jesus is passionate about? Everyone. People loving and living under the rule and reign of King Jesus. That's what he's passionate about. Last thing, last time I noticed, Paul doesn't, I mean, Jesus doesn't pick who he likes. I think everybody, they want to hear preachers pick one side or the other. There's a lot of chaos happening in society today. And what I love about Jesus is there's no picking sides. We just pick people. We love everyone. We care for everyone. Look at verse 11. God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands. Even the face cloths or aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick. The diseases left him and the evil spirits came out from them. Now some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, these were traveling evangelists, also attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I command you by the Jesus that Paul preaches. Notice how it wasn't personal. This is the Jesus they talk about. I'm trying to use him for my own advantage. That'll preach, okay? But I've, I've got to keep going. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest, were doing this. Evil spirit answered him, and you know the story um, the, the, the evil spirit prevailed against them. They lost, and they were confused. How come the demons won? Wednesday morning, um, I was on, going on a bike ride. That's one of the practices I like to personalize. Uh, my, my spiritual director said he's the first person ever that he has um, spiritually directed that insists on praying while riding on a bike. I can't sit still. My dad's my father. So I had to go on a bike, and that's how I pray to God and stuff. And it's really weird if you walk by me. Um, poor Selena, I ran by her the other day. I'm like, there you go. You know, I'm like talking out loud while I'm on my bike. I'm not talking to anybody but Jesus, amen. But I was riding on a bike, and I was like, it's really hard to pedal. It's like I was having a, a lot of difficulty, if I'm honest. I'm thinking, what's happening? I thought, I golfed yesterday. I don't know. We did the full 18 holes, which I never do, right? I won't tell you the score. Don't ask me later. But I was like, why is this so tough? So I just kept going. I'm like, man, I just must be tired. I must be tired. Kept pushing through it. Saw a group of pit bulls with an owner, praise God. Um, and so then I walked around him, and then I hopped a curb. And then I recognized, oh, I'm so dumb. I have a flat tire. It was the back tire. And so no wonder why this was so difficult. And I, I was at the furthest point. So I had to walk like three miles back with my bike, you know, not having its intended purpose. And I felt like the Holy Spirit told me, if you've just inflated your tires and not your ego, you'd have a much better day this morning. I thought that was good. I got you, God. That's a good one, God. You know? Inflate my tires, send my ego. Okay, that'll preach. Okay? But I really started thinking about it. I said, God, I'm terrible at object illustrations, but you gave me one right now. Let's keep talking, God. Because we need to make personal presence of Jesus. You can talk to him like that, by the way, right? So I was pushing this thing, and I realized, oh, this will preach. See, so many of us, 
all we want to do. We have the drive. We want to go the distance. We talk about we need to have this kind of church with this kind of peace. But the two tires that take us there are the presence of Jesus and the practices of Jesus. That was what bring about the progress that Jesus wants for us. So many of us, though, we ignore the presence of Jesus in our own life. We ignore the practices of Jesus, but we're just trying so hard in the name of Jesus. And he's saying it's actually not even supposed to be this hard. Take care of yourself. Make personal first the presence of Jesus. Make personal the practices of Jesus. And you will be shocked at how the Lord prevails and brings about the passion of Jesus, which is bringing more people into the kingdom of God. We just keep thinking God wants us to work harder. And he's saying deflate the ego, inflate the tire. I thought that was good. That is so good. If you just skip to the mission, there is a whole lot that will be missing. The seven sons of Sceva, I don't need those two tires. I just need to look cool. I need the direction. And look where it happened. They, were, they ran out naked and wounded. And I think that's why, one reason why so many pastors never finish the race. We're trying so hard. But it's actually a lot easier than we're making it. But it takes humility. I love being a Baptist, except when we worship. But I love being a Baptist. I do, theologically, all this stuff. And I love that as Baptists, our main message is to join Jesus. I love that. We love baptisms more than anything in a Baptist church. Why we're called Baptists. You ever thought about that? Mind blown. But I want to make sure we are a church that doesn't just talk about joining Jesus. I want to make sure first we are a church that talks about enjoying Jesus or we're not going to make this fight. We're going to be naked and wounded. Friends, Jesus said, come to me, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. I will give you rest. That's really good. These sons of Sceva, they tried hard. Paul, he touched a napkin and it worked. When you're in the presence of Jesus and personalizing the practices of Jesus, nothing can stop us. Hear me, this is the last point. It's impossible to take personal the passion of Jesus if we haven't made personal the presence and practices of Jesus. This is the main message God has taught me the last two years. It is impossible to take personal the passion of Jesus if we haven't made personal the presence and practices of Jesus. Y'all, I'm taking this whole George Floyd murder very personal. I'm broken over this. I'm broken over the response. I'm really broken that Christian brothers and sisters are looking for creative excuses as to why it happened. Are you kidding me? It's just terrible. Now, the, how we're responding is terrible too, but I think we're so quickly running over that. We need to, uh, it's just so hard. I'm broken that a lot of us aren't broken. I'm broken over that. I'm broken that churches today still found a way just to be happy. We need to. We also have to be sorrowful over what's happening in our society. See, Jesus, when I read my Gospels, Jesus enters a city with compassion. And he recognizes that they're like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus wept. I've been turning on the TV. I've been weeping. Because all I see is sheep without shepherds. But we have a God who shepherds us so well. He came down into the neighborhood and he did what we could not do. Here's what I fear. I fear we have so warped the passion of Jesus because we have so weakened the presence and practices of Jesus. 
We have warped the passion of Jesus. There's people, there are black brothers and sisters who don't feel welcome at a Christian church. What are we doing? That is wrong. We have warped the passion of Jesus. This is not the Jesus that we serve. Jesus is the God of all nations, amen? And he actually doesn't cater to conformity. He dwells in diversity where everyone can hear in their own native language. But I think it really does start with us as a church because for years, all we've talked about is the passion of Jesus. But like two deflated tires, if we are not personally in the presence of Jesus and personally applying the practices of Jesus, all of that is just talk. And we're tired and we're trying harder, but we're going nowhere fast. I wrote this in my journal this week. I was in a mood, okay? It says, have we given up hope that society can change because we've given up hope that we can change? Is it that we're so good at creatively excusing systemic injustice because we've gotten so good at creatively excusing the sin that's within us? I'm broken over this. We're the people of God. There should be Everyone is welcome. Everyone is loved. Everyone is protected. Everyone is cared for. On Pentecost Sunday, we need the Spirit to do what only He can do. We need peace that passes understanding. We need a love that never leaves. Amen? And only the Spirit can do this. We need the kingdom, but it won't happen without the King. I love that we're preaching the kingdom. (laughs) I, I said one day, I know it's dumb, but I like it. The kingdom without the King is just dumb. It's true. We need the king and the kingdom. So I implore you, what if we were to make personal the presence of Jesus? If we did that, we would have the strength to endure. We would have the ability to people to attack our egos because we don't look for you to fill up our egos in the first place. When we make personal the presence of Jesus, we long for the whole world to experience his peace, which by the way, peace Again, didn't die for you. Jesus did. And what I love about peace is it actually does take justice to get to peace. Jesus said in Isaiah, says, woe to you who just proclaim peace to peace, but there is no peace. Justice hasn't been served. We as Christians must also fight for justice, amen? And justice was ultimately taken care of on the cross. I pray and I implore as Passion Creek Church, if I had to go to the shark tank once more and give my prospectus, I would say we need to make personal the practices of Jesus. Hear me, change is possible. That addiction doesn't define you. You can love everyone, but it first starts with recognizing that God loves you. And what I've recognized, why do I do these practices? Because I have to fight to believe that he actually loves me. It's not to earn his favor. I always say practices, it's not about removal to get approval. It's about making space for God's grace. God, I just need you. And when we do that, we'd fight to see that change happen in our society. And the last thing, if we're to, I, I pray and I implore that we take personal the passion of Jesus. Jesus isn't on this side or that side. He is for the people in every side. He is against any wrong. He's a for every right. May we not try to pick sides, but may we pick what's right and just have the heart of the lion and the lamb. And I think if we do this, if we take personal the passion of Jesus, when our 
what have you, our tires are inflated with his presence and his practices, I think we can go much further, much faster. We can actually see change in this community in such a way that only Jesus gets the glory. And I think that's the only change God's interested in, this eternal change. We would have this gentle and lowly heart that cared for every single soul on the planet from the womb to the tomb. Why do we have to argue which one's more important? They all are just as important. But that gets exhausting if you are not personally in the presence of Jesus and making personal the practices of Jesus. When you do that, you'd be amazed how it softens your heart and you begin to take personal the passion of Jesus. And that's my prayer for Passion Creek Church.